Appamada's programmes and facilities are supported through your generosity. Your support really does make a huge difference. You'll find a link for contributions on the website at appamada.org forward slash contribute. Thank you so much. Hello, everybody. I see uh, there. Good. Joel got admitted. Um, it's so good to be here with everybody in this uh, this cloud zendo. Um, let's see here. So, the title of today's talk is "Skillful Means Practice." and mistakes. So I'm not sure what this is. Something popped up on my screen. So skillful means practice and mistakes. And it arises from my curiosity about skillful means, and I hope it inspires some of your own. Skillful means is an important aspect of the Dharma, and it can only be hinted at rather than taught. Skillful means is different in every arising moment. We each learn skillful means from our own practice and our own mistakes. So all I have to offer today is supportive words for your own discoveries. The Princeton Buddhist Dictionary defines skillful means as the Buddha's ability to understand his audience so well that he was able to adapt his teachings into a form they could understand. And it's amazing to me how skillfully our teachers are able to express the subtlety of the Dharma. And by teachers, I mean everyone from the Buddha to our ancestors who wrote the sutras and commentaries to current authors who write about the Dharma and to our very own teachers. Skillful means is responding appropriately and beneficially to the needs of a person or situation. It is not something that only applies to formal teaching. Its use is the day-to-day, moment-to-moment intention of all of us who try to live by the teachings of the Buddha. It is what we say and how we interact with our family, friends, and even strangers. It can even show up in something as simple as how we say hello to one another. Do we speak to someone from an awareness of how connected we all are? Or do we speak to others in a way that arises from unthinking habit? We have learned from Peg that skillful means is something that arises naturally within us as we practice. It isn't something that can be taught the way we learn such things as the multi multiplication tables. The Buddha speaks extensively about skillful means in the Lotus Sutra, but he does this with examples and stories. He leaves us plenty of room to know skillful means for ourselves in our own practice. Skillful means evolves within us as our practice evolves. As we practice, we gradually become aware of how deeply connected we are to each other. 
Along with this comes a desire to speak and interact with one another in a way that is supportive and beneficial. As we practice, we begin to see and work with our habitual conditioning so that it becomes less likely to interfere with skillful interactions. We begin to drop the self-centered dream and are better able to respond appropriately to the person or situation before us. Not only do we begin to sense what is needed, but we also learn to ask questions to help tailor a response. Practice and skillful means are inseparable. But none of this means we never make mistakes. In fact, it seems to me that mistakes and learning from them are a crucial aspect of skillful means. For example, once I said something in an online gathering that was very upsetting to one of our Sangha members, it was a case of intention and impact not corresponding. She confronted me and I learned so much from that incident. I learned to be more mindful and careful of others in a way I hadn't imagined before. Mistakes are an important part of skillful means, an important aspect of learning to adapt what we say and do to the needs of a particular, of particular people and situations. Making mistakes is probably the aspect of skillful means that I know the most about. Today's talk was inspired by some passages Kim and I read together by Venerable Ajahn Sumedho, Theravadan monk. Ajahn Sumedho, Sumedho begins his essay by reminding us of the story of the Buddha's enlightenment, his awakening to the Four Noble Truths, the Eightfold Path, and the Twelve Links of Causation. The Buddha felt that what he had awakened to was too subtle to explain. At first, he decided not to teach. Ultimately, he was persuaded that some folks had only a little bit of dust in their eyes and were teachable. So he set out on a journey to find his former practice buddies, the five ascetics, thinking they might be able to receive what he had to offer. His first sermon to these first five practitioners was called, and you do not need to remember this word, but um, Ajahn Sumedho uses it, so I want to use it here. Um, his first sermon to these first five practitioners was called Dhammachaka Pavatana Sutta, which contains the Four Noble Truths. It is considered the first turning of the Dharma wheel, However, it is what happened on the way that pricked my curiosity about skillful means. And this is how Ajahn Sunedo tells the story. So Ajahn Sunedo says, though the Dhamma Chaka Pavatana Sutta is considered to be the first sermon the Buddha gave his enlightenment, I sometimes like to think that he gave his first sermon when he met an ascetic on the way, on the way to Varanasi. The Buddha, on his way from Bodhagaya to Varanasi, met an ascetic who was impressed by his radiant appearance. The ascetic said, what is, the, what is it that you have discovered? And the Buddha responded, 
I am the perfectly enlightened one, the Arahant, the Buddha. I like to get, and this is um, Ajahn uh, Sumedha speaking. He says, um, I like to consider this the Buddha's first sermon, his first teaching. And it was a failure because the man listening thought the Buddha had been practicing too hard and was overstimulating himself. If someone said those words to us, I'm sure we would react similarly. Actually, the Buddhist statement was very accurate, precise teaching. It is perfect teaching, but people cannot understand it. They tend to misunderstand and to think it comes from an ego because people are always interpreting everything from their own egos. The statement, I am the Buddha, the perfectly enlightened one, is interesting to contemplate. In any case, the result of the Buddha's first teaching was that the listener could not understand it and walked away. So for me, this is comforting uh, to see that the Buddha, this uh, fully enlightened being, learned by trial and error, just like I do, just like we all do. His first attempt to reach out to somebody, to teach what he had discovered was clearly a failure, but he didn't give up. Instead, he went on to present his discovery of the path differently to his five former companions. He attuned his teaching to what they needed, they needed to realize and understand in this place and in this time. He presented the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path. They got it and became the Buddha's first followers. Ajahn Sunetto tells the story like this. This time, instead of saying, I am the enlightened one, he said, there is suffering. There is the origin of suffering. There is the cessation of suffering. There is the path out of suffering. Presented in this way, his teaching requires no acceptance or denial. If he said, I am the enlightened one, we would be forced to either agree or disagree or just be bewildered. However, by saying there is suffering, there is cause, there is, an, there is an end to suffering, and there is a way out of suffering, he offered something for reflection. So we start contemplating it, thinking about it. With the statement, I am the enlightened one, we would just argue. We are not ready for a teaching that is so direct. So on the second occasion, he gave the teaching of the Four Noble Truths. So to me, this passage points out how skillful practice of the Dharma is a mutual act of discovery. Skillful means supports and promotes a relational practice. You may have noticed that practice discussion with a teacher is often conversational. Rarely, if ever, do you walk into a practice discussion room to be met by a teacher verbally spewing quotes from a sutra or some other version of, I am the enlightened one. Usually, the teacher wants to know who you are and how you are and how is your practice. Together, you discover the Dharma in a way that is uniquely suitable. This skillful process leaves plenty of room for your own contemplation. As the Buddha demonstrated, no one can just hand you the Dharma fully formed and realized. 
The Dharma becomes your own when we contemplate it and practice it in our daily life. This is how it was for the Buddha's first five followers, and that's how it is for us today. So I'd like to refer back to what Ajahn Sunetto calls the Buddha's first failed sermon. The Buddha says, I am the enlightened one. Ajahn says that was the perfect teaching, just not something people could understand. To my mind, it was a perfect teaching because I think it encompassed everything the Buddha awakened to under the Bodhi tree in all its subtle layers and depth. It probably includes his full realization of impermanence, causation, emptiness, and the human condition. It's just more than most of us can process all at once. We, like the first man the Buddha met on the road, have a little bit too much dust in our eyes to learn much from that statement. When the Buddha saw that his first teaching failed to be comprehended, I imagine that it helped him gauge his next teaching for his next audience. He didn't give up. I imagine that he continued to walk and that as he continued to walk, he contemplated what his next audience might need to know and how they might best hear it. It is the Buddha's deep and skillful practice that gifted all of us with the first turning of the Dharma wheel. Gradually, as we become ready, we are able to more deeply understand the whole of the Dharma teachings as they first take form in the Four Noble Truths. I think skillful learning and skillful means are two sides of the same coin. As I mentioned before, skillful means is a fruit of practice. Peg says practice makes you quicker with an appropriate response. Skillful means evolves as our practice evolves. We sit zazen and become more open-hearted towards ourselves and others. We contemplate and practice the Four Noble Truths and begin to see how intimately connected we are to everyone and everything. With this understanding, we begin to practice the Eightfold Path in the suffering for ourselves and others. We practice the precepts and the perfections in relationship to other beings. These practices are all about how we live together in the world. Living them as well as we can is skillful means. Skillful means is essential to living by the Bodhisattva vow. As we interact with people and situations at our best, we are in a process of opening to what we might have to offer to relieve the suffering of others. As we practice, we learn to apply skillful means to each vow. How might I be with this person in a way that helps open them to relief from suffering? We do our best to skillfully use the practices to end our delusions. The less deluded we are, the less likely we are to cause harm. With less delusion, the more likely we are to skillfully interact with the people in our lives. It is my experience that, in, that entering Dharma gates takes all kinds of skill. Often for me, skillful means requires asking for help with particular Dharma gates. Skillful use of Dharma teachings helps us pass through a Dharma gate as beneficially as possible for all involved. 
Buddha's way is unsurpassable. This vow embodies it. We practice the Buddha way of practice and uh, of practice and skillful means with our body, heart, and mind for the benefit of all. Despite diligent practice, we don't always get skillful means right. Despite our growing awareness of our intimate connection with everyone, sometimes we still get it wrong. And that's okay. That's part of the process. Like the Buddha so kindly illustrated for us, skillful means often requires trial and error. When you see and feel what you said or done has not been clear or had its intended impact, you can ask questions. If needed, you can apologize. The truth of the moment arises within our interaction with each other. We learn more and more about the Dharma and skillful means with every failure. The first man the Buddha met on the road was not able to receive teaching. It wasn't tailored to suit what he was capable of understanding. But the Buddha learned from that experience. It is the same for all of us as we sit zazen and practice the Dharma on and off the cushion. There is always more to realize about the Dharma and about skillful means. So, for me, Writing this talk on skillful means has been challenging and also quite fruitful. Uh, and you would not believe how many pages of this talk got discarded as I would look as I would look at them. I would read them and I would go, "Not skillful, not skillful." Um, so it's been quite instructive. Um, but. I'm, I, I can only I can only express this as far as my own practice goes, and so I, I hope that it's just simply giving you something to think about. And I thank you so much for being here. I thank you for listening, and I want to open things up. Uh, I would love to know what skillful means have you noticed in others. What kind of impression has it made on you and how, how has it impacted you? How have you known skillful means growing with you, with your own practice, with how you interact with others? So let's open the floor up, uh, open the floor up for discussion. Thank you. I see Joan. Well, what I first say about skillful means is I know it when I see it. <laughs> uh, and I have been involved in uh, the uh, Hakomi training that Jessica and John Eric have given. <clears throat> and the skillful means uh, of them is awe-inspiring. And Jessica's way of um, word choice is remarkable and uh, the way both of them um, try to capture what they've heard other people say is uh, inspiring and uh, i just want to say one other thing one of the participants one of the people that i was in a breakout room uh, 
I felt had a really good way of expressing things that aren't that easy to express. And one of the things I liked that this person said, uh, particularly was talking with dealing with difficult things and having unnecessary friction. And that helped me, like you said, the Buddha could put things in ways that others could could hear from it. And, and that just kind of resonated through me. And it was uh, just, it's just a wonderful experience when you um, come in contact with people with skillful needs. Thank you, Joan. Uh, yeah, thank you for that example. And, uh, and, and for what you said, you know it when you see it. Because you knew that when when you heard that you knew it and it also causes there's something that happens between the two of you. It, 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 you feel it uh, between the two of you. It sort of almost arose between the two of you. It's like how I experience it too. Yeah, a real connection when you go, yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much. Joel and then Becky. Thank you. Um, I also want to make reference to the class that John Eric and Jessica are leading. The, it's, it's had quite an impact on me. I was trying to describe it to my wife last night and um, she she said it's such a shame that she had not known about it that I hadn't shared it with her. You know? So I said, well, there'll, there'll be there are recordings, although that's much different ones in it because they're not lecturing. These are experiential sessions. So it's not the same as taking part. And I, I there's two things. So I've, I've talked about this with some other people before, but in the in the first meeting of this group that came together, John, the, the title of the of the session was calming the mind. And I, like many people, came into that session with the expectation that they that we would have some techniques uh, suggested, as happens a lot in the sutras, uh, for calming the mind. And um, instead, Jessica and John Eric led us through check-ins, check-ins about our the state of our bodies, what's going on, what are we feeling? Spend some time with that. Uh, and everybody got a chance to speak and, every, and everyone listened respectfully. And uh, then came our minds. And some people, when they got to their minds, uh, mentioned things like, well, okay, so when are we going to get to the techniques? You know, there was a kind of eagerness, you know, for the for some, some activity of the mind. And um, John Eric and, and Jessica didn't really respond to that. Uh, and then to the heart, and it, by the time we got to the heart part, you know how we how we are feeling, in, the emotion tone that we have, and how we are are feeling in terms of connection and, and openness and other other things related to the the heart. Um, it began to emerge, I think, it certainly did for me. And I, I just, from watching people on screen, I think that it, it came out for other people as well, that we were calming our minds. That this was the way to calm the mind, which was to pay attention to other people, to connect with other people in empathy and 
uh, that just had such a big impact on me. And I, 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 I spoke, you know, I spoke up later in the meeting and I said, hey, I noticed this. And, and John Eric, who, whom I was addressing, said, yeah, and it takes as long as it takes. You need to allot the amount of time and not be, and not just always be in a rush. There's that. And th but later on in one of the other meetings last week, they did describe some techniques, which again were surprising, but really, really were uh, uh, skillful. And uh, they, they refer to things that I've seen many times in the approach that Flint and Peg and and other teachers have used, but they one was um, to see the child and the and the person you're talking to. If somebody's meeting with you, mm. just see the child in them. behind. It, it, well, the the overall instruction was to see the storyteller, not the story, or not to focus exclusively on the story, but to open to the to the presence of the full life of the storyteller that could be the child uh, within the person uh, and that is then to see the marks of experience or even suffering in the other person and then the one that I had still had the most trouble with is to see the other person as a mirror of your own of your own life experience you know and uh, that seems like really really skillful means that at any moment, you can leave your own conditioning enough to see the other aspects of the life of the person who's talking to you. And that is that seems really valuable to me. Really, an a way to access skills that I had not thought about. Thank you, and thank you for this wonderful talk, Helen. Thank you, Joel. Uh, I'm so glad to hear I'm not taking the Hakami course, and I'm so glad to hear uh, it sounds like it's a really wonderful course. Thank you so much. Becky. Oh, thank you, Ellen. I, I, you managed to pick wonderful things from your own practice, I know, but also I think from noticing other people. So thank you. Um, as you were talking and, and, you know, invited us to reflect on what we've heard and what's in ourselves, one of the first things that came to me about, about getting the, getting some of the skills and awareness toward skillful means, um, about a year ago, I realized that while I was hearing hearing people's words and, and so on, I really needed to deepen my listening. And I think some of the things that Joel was talking about in terms of, of what perspectives we keep in mind when we are listening to someone. So that it's not just, oh, understanding the surface meanings and, and not, I mean, you know, it's not just the things that we've had with us all our lives, which is 
whether or not it's intentional and that we do something with it, but noticing someone's body language and gestures and breathing and all of those things. But, but there's, there's a, a deeper, deeper listening factor that I am, I just sort of focused on that for quite a while is, and, and now I'm, I'm, I find it less like anything that we practice. It's, it's, it's less work for me to keep the awarenesses that I, that I want. And I think it's a lifetime job that it's not like we're going to become skillful means skilled uh, so much as that it's something that we always can grow a bit more of. So, so I really thank you. This is, this is grand to look at this aspect of it. This little aspect. Yes. Yes. Becky, thank you so much. And thank you for sharing your practice. I see Nelda. Good morning, Ellen. Good morning, everyone. I'd like everyone else, thank you. Oh, this talk so piqued my interest. And before I start with the peaking of the interest, I'll, I'll start with the answer to your second question is that where and through whom have you seen skillful means? And I'm going to say everyone at the Sangha, um, everyone. At some point, I've seen skillful means in everyone. Um, and uh, how lovely that our failures are our Dharma gates to get a little quicker at it, right? So that's that's the answer to that question. But here's where I'm so curious, to the point that I'm going to do research on it. Um, what I heard in your talk, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that when the Buddha said, I'm the Buddha, I'm the fully enlightened one, that even a fully enlightened Buddha, the Buddha, can make mistakes. That's what I heard. Um, and I and, and and that really sort of startled me when I when I heard it, when I got the impact of the implication of that, because I'm like, no, that's a Buddha. Buddhas don't make mistakes. Buddhas are fully enlightened. So I'm trying, I'm having um, cognitive dissonance over that. Um, and would like to know more about being fully enlightened and still making a mistake. There. Oh, thank you so much for that, Nelda. That's actually, that, the reading I did is what was the inspiration for this. And I felt the, this talk. Uh, on skillful means. It's something I've been interested in anyway. And then when I read that, something just, it sparked something. Uh, that it wasn't, it, he, he, he was, that practice is continuous, I guess. He was fully enlightened. He sat there under, under the Bodhi tree. Uh, and then he decided he wasn't gonna teach. And then he decided he was gonna teach. 
And so he gave this teaching and he, he was open to adapting it. I mean, I think that was part of his own enlightenment, you know, it, that didn't hit, it didn't, that guy didn't get it. And so he kept adapting. He, he didn't quit and he kept adapting. And I think that, uh, I think it's such a, a, a great example for me because I make mistakes all the time. <laughs> Yeah, but we're not fully enlightened and that's I'm not fully enlightened but even he fully enlightened uh, and who's to say what that it was even a mistake he learned from that mistake and then he uh, and then he uh, presented his next talk adapted it in a way that was so skillful and so perfect for those first five and for all of us who hear who hear it the Four yes. Noble Truths and the, and the Eightfold Path. And that practice is ongoing and ever adapting and in connection with one another. He didn't quite see how much dust that, that guy had in his eyes, the one, the one ascetic he met. But then he sort of got it and, and he, he adapt, adapted it. And then as you read, the, as you read uh, the Buddha's words, he's constantly adapting. I mean, that's what pretty much everything the Buddha said was this ongoing. Well, look at it like this, or or you could look at it like that, or perhaps it's like, you know, it's just this constant adaptation. And it's so inspiring to me that the Dharma is so broad. And so it's for everybody. Well, I'll, I'll leave with this still niggling um, dissonance. Perhaps it's that I have a construct oh, that you once go. you are a fully enlightened Buddha, yes, you don't make mistakes. Right. And and maybe that's where I need more um, study and input. And I'm delighted that your talk brought me to, huh, that question and wanting to know more about our teachings. So thank you, Ellen. Thank you so much for that, Melba. And, and good luck with your ongoing contemplation. <laughs> I see Rosemary and then I see Kim and maybe Joel unless Joel's hand is still up thank thank you Ellen so much um so um examples of skillful means the first thing I thought of was inquiry and the way that at Flint and Josh and and all of the the teachers that um respond to people that come forward you know, I, so many different um, situations and places of practice and questions and sharing come forth and to uh, see the beautiful way that that they respond, I think is, is really like skillful means on the spot. Um, and I have two really good examples of mistakes of my own recently um, that were quite unskillful um, in the one um, I was uh, on a Zoom call with a friend and my cleaning lady was, um, we we're always like, well, are you going to be in this room and I'll be in this room and where are you going? And so we set it up and I was in the bedroom with on the, the computer, but I hadn't closed the door. So um, it wasn't that private, but I was reading something to my friend and she came in to put some stuff away. And I called, I didn't, I called over to her and said, Maria, blah, blah, blah. 
and she didn't quite understand. And I probably said the same thing again. And eventually she left her stuff and left the room. But it was my fault, of course, that I hadn't closed the door. But I realized all I had to do, the skillful way would have been to excuse myself from my friend, to get up and talk to her, because there's a language thing as well. But also I'm, I'm like yelling across 10 feet of, of room. It's, it's not skillful. Um, so, um, I'm very curious about that with myself, you know, why, you know, here was the self-centered dream. It's my, it's my, what I'm doing is most important. Why don't you realize that? Um, the second one was very similar. I was with, it's also with computers with a friend and, um, I was trying to get a zoom thing working and there were other people like talking. And again, I like, I, I yelled. I yelled over to them to please be quiet because I was doing something really important. Anyway, so this is a, a big, um, a pretty big practice edge for me to like wonder about what's what's that about? You know, that I just, um, yeah, come on, people, I'm like, do what I think is important here, you know. So anyway, those are things that I have to, so this fits right in with my wondering about this for myself and my practice. Thank you, Alan. Thank you, Rosemary. It sounds like you're you're practicing well. <laughs> I hope so. Thank you. Kim. Yeah, two things. One is um, I think I disagree with the, the man we've been reading about uh -huh. that it was a mistake. And um, in the Hakomi uh, breakout room, one of them, I mentioned that I had a teacher who's been dead for about 30 years and that he's still my teacher and I'm still learning from him. This is an art teacher. And in the same way, um, sometimes the teaching doesn't get accepted right away, but in time does. And the fact that we're still talking about this teaching 2,500 years later, you know, you can't call it a failed teaching because there's so much there. The second thing is the importance of um, being um, being here now to, in order to do skillful means. And I heard the story yesterday of someone who went to a therapist and they they told all their problems and then the therapist came up with something that obviously she hadn't been there. This was like her her little spiel for any any couple who comes, you know, and so, so that was an example of someone who wasn't there. But the more we're there, the more we realize, I think that we're reborn in every moment, the more chance we have of, of really responding um, in a skillful way. So, so anyway, that's Thank you, Kim, for, thank you for bringing both of those things up. First of all, emphasizing the being fully present, dropping the self-centered dream and being fully present. And I think that's something that we all, that's just, we keep practicing that, you know? And I'm glad you brought up the, the part about not a mistake or not a failure. Ajahn Sunetto calls it a failed sermon. Um, because that is something I thought about and it didn't somehow didn't make it into this talk, but I think that's a really good point you made. I know that there's many times I've heard something 
Well, first of all, let's say the first time I heard about the whole idea of no, of, uh, uh, no permanent self and emptiness, I argued about it. <laughs> and uh and uh and and ended up uh doing a uh, full full-fledged research on it <laughs> and uh it was just the beginning i i did not get it I, enough that i argued about it and uh but it wasn't a mistake for her uh, I, I was not able to to get it in that moment, but it wasn't a mistake. It was a Tibetan Buddhist teacher, and it was not a mistake for her to mention it because I, I took it and ran. I contemplated it for years, <laughs> you know. So I think that's really true for a whole lot of things. We hear something, we don't get it. But like what Nilda just said, I'm going to really look into that, you know. And uh, again, it's how we connect with each other through we, we, I, I want to say create the Dharma together, but that's not it. But we live it, like I think Rosemary and I were talking about this, we, we live it together. We learn it and realize it together. So thank you so much, Kim. Joel. Thanks. Um, well, I, I'm reminded of two things. Uh, one, that the Buddha, you know, these stories are are strung together and it's hard to tell, do they come in a sequence where the Buddha is having a realization and then making a change? Uh, or or do they, are they just, you know, random stories that we organize into right. a sequence, you know? Uh, but in in the sequence that I construct, the Buddha later on was... Uh, uh, more insistent on getting his followers to stop treating him as a god. And there's a story that I've heard Peg tell more than once of um, Shariputra or Ananda or somebody was sitting around and, and they were talking with some other monks and, and saying, oh, well, the Buddha has these special powers and he's, he's magical and he can see into the past and the future and knows everything all at once. And um, and the Buddha comes walking up and he says, well, I'll tell you something more remarkable. When I'm walking, I know I'm walking. When I'm standing, I know I'm standing, etc. You know, the the the. The formulation that gets used a lot in the Satipatthana Sutra and. Um, and, and that just seems very important to me, and it, it seems that it, it's in line with what you're saying, that he's that, yes. We can, we can, in competing with other modes of religious activity, we could say, well, our, our guy's the best. You know, he's got all these powers. He's perfect. And everything is perfect. And we can insist on that. But where's that coming from? That's coming from ourselves, not directly from the, what I see as the core of the teaching. So I, I just, I really like it when the Buddha's like, no. What really matters is being awake in this moment. Uh, and and then, um, then there's this thing from Dogen, uh, which I think is applicable in this case. He says, to carry yourself forward and experience myriad things is delusion. That myriad things come forward and experience themselves as awakening. 
Those who have great realization of delusion are Buddhas. Those who are greatly deluded about realization are sentient beings. Further, there are those who continue realizing beyond realization who are in delusion throughout delusion. When Buddhas are truly Buddhas, they do not necessarily notice that they are Buddhas. However, they are actualized Buddhas who go on actualizing Buddhas. So, you know, in, in, in a, a mind-bending sequence of, of assertions from Dogen, but, the, but what I get from that is the, the necessity for the relationality that Peg and Flint point to over and over again. It's like we can, you know, have all kinds of great realizations in our head, but that doesn't make us a Buddha. What makes us a Buddha is how we treat other people. It's action, not thoughts, something like that. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's and, and what you're talking about sort of helps me with what Nelda was saying. Um, that the it, and what Kim was saying about being in the moment. I mean, of course, the wisdom that might or the or whatever comes forth in the moment is going to be different in every moment because every moment is different. And so, and also what Kim was saying about no mistakes sort of comes up for me uh, in the midst of that. Um, how do we know what's a mistake? We just take care of it as best we can, you know. Uh, I see Dar, thank you, Joel. I see Darcy. Hey, Darcy. Thank you so much for your talk. and. Oh, you can't hear me? It's being hard. Oh. You're breaking up. Now, can you hear me? Yes, we hear you fine now. Okay. If you're not, please let me know. Okay. You're good. Yes, yes. Well, it's so good to hear your talk about skillful means and mistakes. And uh, I, I wanted to say that it, it was really inspiring to me to hear about uh, the Buddha's, you know, what we're calling a mistake, uh, because it's, I think some of the biggest learnings for me has been realizing that people I admire, my teachers, when I, it's, is when I see or they share mistakes or vulnerabilities, that's just been a really big one for me. And so this talk, that's what stood out for me the most was that, you know, he, he didn't have the presence or whatever it was, you know, to with the first guy that he had later. But anyway, I also wanted to say that, um, it uh, it's making me think of how life is this one continuous mistake, you know, how we, and um, I, I'm glad you used the word mistake. And I also appreciate Kim and others talking about, it's also good to reflect on, you know, the, the word that we're using, because what coming up for me is, um, a lot of times, you know, I think I've failed at something, some little things and some really big things. And um, 
we don't really know whether they were mistakes or not. One thing I do know is it lacked the intended impact. So I can say I failed with the impact that I wanted. And that's helpful to me to look at things that way, you know. So anyway, sorry about my failed impact without my video. <laughs> Darcy, thank you so much uh, for, for that and for making that distinction. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, I see Lisa. Lisa, did you just come on? No, I'm here. I, I probably was up in the corner or somewhere. Oh, yeah. And then I turned my video off and on. Okay. Uh, yeah. Sometimes my cat does stuff. Um, and I have to tell you now, I have so many thoughts. <laughs> I have so many thoughts in response to all the the comments and reflections that it's kind of hard for me to sort them out. So, um. So one thing I've always truly loved about Buddhism is knowing that it survived for thousands of years because it always was able to adapt to different cultures. And I'm very interested in anthropology and sociology. So, you know, thinking and that big mindset is how I kind of looked at it. Oh, this is so beautiful because here, you know, these traveling teachers went to different geographical places and, you know, they learned skills they needed to, to impart the teachings, whether it was language um, or, you know, I can imagine them learning different customs and habits and ways of being in the world so they, that they could you know, use even body language to impart the teachings. But, you know, one of my little big gap, not a little gap, it's a big gap. It's like, I think I haven't fully appreciated that in my personal life because, you know, I'll get stuck on things. And that's not skillful. And when I say getting stuck, it's mean uh, it's uh, kind of to do with my wanting to be heard in a certain way. And then if I feel unheard, unseen, um, my temptation and preference is to keep explaining my perspective in different ways. <laughs> you know, having this little part that believes, oh, if I explain it enough, they'll finally get it. They'll finally see my perspective. And, you know, now I'm saying, oh, that is really unskillful. And I have a particular situation, you know, that um, I've been working with for quite a long time, probably years. Definitely recognizing, you know, something that's emotionally intense for me. Wow. So this just keeps unfolding. So, you know, something that's emotionally in intense, 
Oh, that means parts are active, right? And when you're blended with parts, you can't be fully present in relationship. So this is a big deal with me. It's like, ooh, um, I really want what I want in this particular situation. And that means, yeah, I'm really, really attached to the outcome in this relationship. So, um, you know, you can see it's like spilling a bucket of water uh, that maybe doesn't go in a single stream. It's like, oh, this stuff is branching all over the place. And I'm also seeing that, you know, this little comparing mind tendency to measure for myself skillful means about whether or not they have the outcome I hope for. So I've got this, just this big cloud of, um, that's just of associate. I'm very associative. I'm not very linear. So I have this big cloud of associations around this, but um, like a bunch of gnats, but it's okay um, because that's the way I work. It's okay because I can see, oh, here is this little thing that's been nagging at me. I can kind of see things are coming to the forefront. This is has really been troubling me, you know, accepting that my skillful means, I guess we were using the word mistake, but they aren't having the outcome I want it. And that's basically what happened with the Buddha. And he changed his approach. And I'm aware of that with Flint and Peg. But then with myself, I'm not always skillful enough to change my approach. I have some of that made sense. So it's really helpful to me because I'm trying to get unstuck from something. So thank you. Thank you, Lisa. Uh, we're going to have to go. Uh, it's time. But I do want to say that uh, that mistakes is not necessarily a negative. It's just the process, you know? Anyway, that's how it seems to me. So I really appreciate everybody being here. All your input is so important. Thank you so much. <laughs>